And we're back with episode 16 of the Graphic Content Podcast. My name is Jim, and I'm alongside... Adam Messinger. Uh, oh, wow. You're dropping a little tunes for us today, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. That's nice. Seeing you know that what I, musician side of you yeah, come out. I, I, bring it, I bring it here and there. Okay. Cool. Um, it's it's kind of like uh, Bigfoot. Sometimes you, you might see it. You uh, might see once. him lumbering through the forest. Yeah. You know, on grainy 8-millimeter yeah, tape. Exactly. And then, and then sometimes you just hear tell. Yeah. So it was nice to actually see the 8-millimeter tape yeah. version for change. <laughs> so. Yeah, I know. Everybody's like, well, he talks about music. He's never done music that we've heard. Yeah. But to be fair, uh, only I think my people who've listened to my music are probably in like the low double digits. Well, that can increase with this. Cause Hopefully. Re- remember, we have, I mean, I think Kevin Feige listens to this yeah, podcast. Yeah, and then uh, uh, Axel Alonso. Axel Alonso, David Gabriel. Um, um, you know, comics people. Yeah. The, the whole industry essentially listens to essentially, us. Essentially, you know, yeah. so <laughs> we can get the record yeah. industry involved. So, yeah, here. we'll bring them into, I mean, <laughs> on a semi-serious yes. note, like comics are for everyone. Like fucking, yeah, if you have ears and eyes, like fucking come read comics. Well, yeah, you know, I mean, there are plenty of bands out there which just cover shit like comics, mm-hmm. you know? Like I, I immediately, I, I go a little bit old school, as you know, but I mean, Kirby Crackle for me, I mean... Yeah. I, they're some of the best. Joe, Joe Q played with Kirby Crackle. That's right. That's um, right. Uh, Seduction of the Innocent, which were all comic creators. Max yeah. Allen Collins, Bill Moomy, um, I think Peter David. I what? remember Peter David. I, I, what? Wanna, I, what no, I can't imagine that. So, you know that song? I can't remember. The Lion Sleeps Tonight. Okay, yeah. Okay. So, I forget everybody who's in this band, but I remember specifically Max Allen Collins and Bill Moomy, who used to be in Lost in Space. He was yeah. a little redhead kid. Um, and then there was a couple of other creators in it. So, I'm, forg- I'm, I'm, I'm having a total brain fart, so I apologize if I'm forgetting your name. But I remember, I want to say it was Comic-Con either 1993 or 1994. They were singing, uh, they did a performance, and it was like a nerd ball. So, there was like... <laughs> Like I would say, like four or five hundred men and maybe a hundred women <laughs> being sounds, protected by bulkier men. That and, sounds about uh, right for '93 to comic convention. Yeah, you know, so it was much different times back in San Diego, yeah. back before all the after parties started to pop Gosh. up. And anyway, they invited Peter David up. You know, I mean, we're talking the 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 renowned Peter David. Uh, who wrote books like The Incredible Hulk and had uh, for a, a billion years for a billion and one years and X Factor you name it he's written it pretty much oh he has a new comic new Scarlet Spider comic that's out right with, he is uh, Mark Bagley you know I'm so glad to hear that he recovered from this stroke but yeah going back twenty something years ago they invited him up to sing the high pitch part of the Lion Sleeps Tonight oh my gosh in the jungle I can't even do it because my, my did he pull it off he sort of so okay okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Look, this is seduction of the innocent, not ACDC. Okay. So yeah. Just saying. That makes sense. <laughs> so uh, enough with those memories, but we've got new memories to make. There's um, one small detour I want to make real quick. Boy, you do this to me at I all know. the perfect. Like I put my finger up, and I've and that's like an old broadcasting thing. Like I've got this thing, but no, you're. F- so we have dueling fingers right we now. Do. Okay, so I will allow your finger okay, to go before so, my finger. So thank you very much. You're more than welcome. Um, have you watched the Judas Contract, the animated version? I bought the Blu-ray, 
haven't had a chance to plug it in yet. Okay. Yes. Okay. That was that was all because I saw it and then I instantly wanted to know what you thought, knowing your love of the property. Well, what we're going to do is actually, um, I was talking to Manny Gomez, who is with us on the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two review. He's going to come back into the graphic content studio, and we're going to do a debrief of the Judas contract and actually talk about some of our favorite uh, animated, you know, comic-related animations. That would be great. And, I mean, they're about to, well, they Bleeding Cool discovered on Amazon that they're about to do a, a deluxe hardcover of the Judas contract next year. Which would make for an interesting contrast between reading the original Judas contract and then watching the Judas Contract yeah. uh, direct-to-video movie. So uh, really good call out there. And you know that I'm going to buy that hardcover. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, come on. It's, yeah. it, this is me. Where we, I think we all know about my obsession with the Teen Titans at this point. Um, so, yeah, that was the only detour no, I was that's wanting a, to No, that was a good detour to make. But um, I made reference a couple of episodes back that we're going to be going to more than one episode dropping per week. Oh, that's right. Yeah, remember that? Yes. And then... We went radio silent for a week because I was traveling, and then we had the hiccup with with uploading. With well, it was me having a hiccup with hotel Wi-Fi on the road, which prevented me from uploading the episode in yeah. the time frame that I had available to me. So this is what we're going to do. We are going to do a few new things and uh, roll them through the graphic content podcast feed. The first one, and I think we made mention of this in our YouTube series on on DC Rebirth, which is that graphic content is not a new show. Actually, this is version 2.0 of the original graphic content, which was a production of um, that was mainly based out of the Launchpad, the comic shop in Lodi that I used to be part of, uh, with my friends Mike. Uh, my late friend Dave, Isaac, and Cody. So Cody and Mike are now business partners at the Launchpad. And the four of them uh, did a spinoff podcast of the original Mission Command show, which was the overall geek culture show. And it was all about what comics were coming out week to week and uh, their reviews of them. They would read the comics early on, on Tuesday after they did the, the unloading of the product after closing the shop, and then they would drop the new episode on Wednesday or Thursday. Um, those were some fantastic episodes. Mike, who I talk to on an almost daily basis, either over text or on phone, um, he suggested to me if I would like to put those up on our feed. So, and there was like 15, 16 episodes of that. So every so often on Tuesdays, we're going to drop graphic content flashback of the original graphic content show, which ran for most of 2014. I was about to ask the year because in my mind, I would love to hear takes on books from that time. Yeah, like the very first episode has a review of the very first issue of Karen Gillan and Jamie McKelvey's The Wicked and the Divine. Wow. Okay, so talk, okay. okay, so and of course And we're about four trades into that. We're right four now. trades into it, but if you want to get get a download as to what the guys thought of the very first issue dropping in the time frame of which it originally dropped, this is an outstanding uh, episode to listen to. And then there's some forgettable series like Marvel Storm series, which I think ran for five issues or something like that. Wait, that was the one with uh, Greg Pak and Victor Ibanez. Yeah. And, and okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I say five issues. I don't, I don't remember how long it ran, but that it was a very short run series, but was kind of cool. 
And well, uh, great. it's Greg Pak. He's he's great. He's great, but has a curse. You know, unfortunately, yeah. if it's not Hulk related, it, it, the shit gets canceled well before it's time. Yeah. Plus, it's Marvel. So, <laughs> yeah. With hashtag built-in prejudice. Um, uh, <laughs> hashtag stealth cancel. That's right. We're just gonna take it off the schedule, not tell any of you fuckers. Yeah. Um, so we're gonna be doing that. And I'm really excited to put that back out there because uh, they had some really interesting, fresh takes on those books. And I just think it'll be fun to listen to. And uh, for those that don't know, we lost Dave last year. Uh, we just passed the one-year anniversary of his passing. So, you know, if you want to get a, a semi-regular dose of Dave in, in prime Dave form, uh, this would be a great way to, to, to get that for those of you who knew Dave Phillips. Um, we're also going to be doing uh, a new show that's going to be debuting sometime in June. We are? We are. Well, not you and me. but Oh, okay. But... I was like, I don't, this takes up a lot of time, Jim, and I'm a busy man. You are a busy man. I mean, what with your... With my knee injury that is going on right now. Oh, I got a lot of home to sit at. As as somebody who has two knee injuries, I'm absolutely in sympathy for you. Thank because you. it sucks. It yeah. absolutely sucks. But um, we, as in the graphic content family, is going to be producing a show about Star Wars fandom. Because I think I've mentioned it on more than one show that I am a super duper Star Wars nerd. I'm excited to hear that because I like Star Wars, but I'm not nearly, not even close to as in depth into that universe as you are. Well, you know, and the and and this is where the good part. So so the podcast, which is also going to be embedded in the graphic content podcast feed, is going to be called Holonet HQ. The Holonet is like the internet for Star Wars, basically. Okay. Um, so Holonet HQ is going to be two different, there's going to be two different sub feeds. Uh, you know that I'm into tabletop role-playing games. Well, next month, uh, with my monthly gaming group, we're going to start a Star Wars Force and Destiny role-playing game session that we're going to do actual play broadcasts from. Okay. So we meet about anywhere from three to five hours once a month try to get in a fairly full session, you know, besides just farting around and talking you, shit on one Do you another. go from, like, do you do one story in that whole, like, five hours? Or, like, is it just, do you do you have, like, a continuous game that you carry through? Yes, it's like a campaign or yeah. what they would say in TV. It would be a serialized storyline. Okay. So, but the characters are the ones that determine the branches that the storyline takes. So we're going to do a show about... Um, about people who are Force-sensitive when it's not a very popular time to be Force-sensitive. That's during the Galactic Civil War. And um, you know, we'll be talking more about that as we get closer to, to the release of that. Now, for ignorant people like mm-hmm. me, when you say Galactic Civil War... The original trilogy films, episodes so is, four, five, and six. So is it set between, like, during that whole time? Right. Okay. Well, well... It, as we get closer to it, because I don't want to reveal it to my players just okay, yet. Okay, that makes sense. Um, I'll give more of a specific as to exactly when in the original uh, trilogy time frame it takes place. Well, I mean, quite honestly with me, there's only uh, four Star Wars movies that are 
like follow <laughs> continuously. And then they did that nice little side story that was pretty good. Yeah, you know, the, that left you on such a dour note and yeah. bad taste in your mouth. But there's good stuff to love about that. And that's what you will hear, the kind of talk that, that or discussion that you'll hear on the other half of Holonet HQ. So we'll probably have two episodes, which will be uh, part one and part two of the game session since they go for so long. And then the other episode that we'll have every month will be a monthly roundtable of just Star Wars fans. These are people without any connection to Star Wars, some who go who are so sweaty for Star Wars that they get into the costuming, the lightsaber choreography, you know, the the the, the stuff like that. Um, you know, like the 501st Legion and the Mandalorian Mercs and Saber Guild. So they mark on the the U.S. census their religion as Jedi? As Well, there is a Jedi religion. Yeah. It's called the Jedi Path, but I'm not an adherent. I just, you know. Okay. You know, it's sort of like how I'm a lapsed Catholic. I'm a lapsed Jedi also. Oh, so, I, I, well, I mean, uh, I think the Force is strong with you. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. It, it binds me and... More importantly, it penetrates me. Uh, so, <laughs> um, but the uh, getting back on tar- stay on target, uh, <laughs> stay on target. Um, uh, what was I going to say? We're going to also have a roundtable discussion for people who are into the deep cuts, like like either the costuming organizations or toy collectors to people who just like Star Wars movies. So you could totally participate in that because it's just going to be talking about Star Wars. You know, what, what is it that makes a Star Wars fan a Star Wars fan? And, um, you know, it's not going to be a show for everybody, but it's not a show that we're also going to be breaking news stories on. It's not a show that you're going to get in-depth analysis on. It's going to be how Star Wars brings people together that normally wouldn't be brought together because there is a disparate, um, maybe that's the wrong word, but there's a wide net for bringing people into Star Wars because it's so popular again. And it's from it's from super casual fans like yourself who are just into the movies to the people who read all the books, all the comics, who are into the video games, who, who, who play with actual lightsabers. Well, they're not real lightsabers. They're plastic lightsabers. Otherwise, you know, yeah, destruction. Um, but it's going to be a roundtable discussion about, you know, what the topical uh, news stories are about Star Wars or how they got into Star Wars, you know, what brought them into the hobby, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's weird. Star Wars has a, a small personal connection to me is I, uh, I have a brother that passed away in the 70s I never met. Okay. But... When I was older and, you know, I I found the special editions, my mom, she seemed really stoked I was into Star Wars. And I was like, why? Why is this, you know, why do you think it's cool that I'm into this as opposed to all the other superhero Uh stuff that I was into? And she's like, well, your brother was a big Star Wars fan. Huh. And that was you know, like, even though I never met him, we're I feel like we're bonded through Star Wars. That's really cool. You see, that'd be a story we'd want to hear on 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 Holonet HQ. So you know, please consider coming on the show sometime. I'll add you to the, the oh yeah the group for that. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd have fun doing that. Yeah. So you know, it's for for everybody. So we already have some episodes lined up. But, uh, again, we're looking at sometime in June to drop those. But that's not going to slow down graphic content in the least because, Adam, you and I dig comics. I mean, that is 
what brought us together. That's what put us on mics onto uh, our recording system. And that's what we're here to talk about today. Yes. Okay. So let's talk about what we're going to talk about today. Adam. So not only are we talking about comics, we're talking a specific type of comic. We're talking about the ones not with 22 pages, not with 48 pages, <laughs> not with even 64 pages. We're talking about stuff that has 128 pages, 364 pages. We're talking about the big daddies, the hard covers, uh, any type the of... soft co- covers. Yes, artist the, editions. The trade paperbacks, the omnibuy. Yes, all of it. We're talking about collected editions. Collected editions and... Uh, you know what's neat about collected editions are, is that I, I find it's real. Collected editions are for everybody. So, let's say you're into the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies, and you want to know where they came up with all those great ideas that you see with Captain America, the Hulk, Thor, Iron Man, Black Widow, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, right? You can go to this thing called a comic book store. And actually read more stories about these characters. The fuck? I know. I'm sounding a little bit condescending there, and I'm not trying to, but what... No, I'm, I'm just... Sh- I didn't know I'm, these I'm things kidding. existed. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> no, yeah, right. We both worked in them. Um, but what's great about trade paperbacks and omnibus editions and artist editions and hardcovers is that it's a complete story from cover to cover. Typically. Typically. Yeah. Unless there's some meta arc that takes place over multiple volumes, like, let's say, in the Walking Dead trades. Oh, my God, yeah. yeah. How many trades are they up to? 20, is it 20? it's 25 Jeez. or 26. But they also have, like, the super big omnibus editions, Oh, right? yeah, that'll cover 40, 50 issues. Easy. And you can kill a man by dropping it on Absolutely. their head from a And they height. even do, like, the big 12, uh, like, the 12-issue oversized hardcovers. Yes, yes, they uh, do. Uh, similar to the Absolute Edition. Yep. So that's that's the kind of stuff that we're going to be talking about today. So it's great for new readers who want to get in and don't want to spend a buttload of cash on certain comics, which might have appreciated in value since they've come up or originally were, were um, uh, put up on stands is what I mean. Or for people who just like to have everything one story between uh, two covers, you know, it's, so. it's the original Netflix binge of comics. It really is. And, and, and what's really cool about certain trades. And I, I did this with the trades that I selected is sometimes you get bonus content like you would on DVD I and Blu-ray special editions so that you can really get into the creator's minds as to the genesis of the idea, how it came up. And sometimes they'll give you like special art, you know, uh, you know, character designs, just rough sketches. I mean, you name it. For, I've seen everything. There was an. There's this example. Um, they did a, a tenth anniversary, I believe, hardcover for the Alex Ross Kurt Busiek series, Marvels. Oh God, I love that book. And in that, I didn't know this until I I read the book. I mean, the books it's it's four four oversized issues. Uh huh. But literally half of the book is bonus content. No shit. Part of that bonus content, and as I said, I didn't know this were the newspaper articles. Kurt Busiek wrote every single newspaper article in that series. So every single one of those is legit, like, writing. And some of those are pretty funny. It'll just talk about just random shit, and then it'll end with, like, I'm writing this, and hopefully it fills the space, blah, blah, blah. Right. That kind of stuff. And I'm like, that is insane. I need this edition. 
I need this. Okay, because the whole time Adam was describing that, my mouth was literally like hovering right above the tabletop here. I I love that book so much, but I had no idea he wrote actual newspaper articles. And that's, that's fantastic. And that's one of those things you wouldn't get out of the single issues you can only get in the collected right, edition. Right. I mean, the fact that he actually went to the word processor and was typing along like that and he actually, you know, uh, de- you know, dateline New York City, you know. And some of these are like 500 words, you know. It's crazy. I mean, that's not a small amount of words to bang out when you're also writing scripts for artists, which is a whole special kind of writing in Absolutely. and of itself. Um, one of the books, I, I'm, you know what, I want to get started. Yes, let's okay, get started. I'm just excited. What's your first... I'm, I'm going book. to start off, it, it might sound like kind of a downer, but I, I want to celebrate someone's life here. And it we just marked the year anniversary of the passing of possibly one of the greatest stars of modern day comic storytelling, whose star shone so brightly, but passed so soon comparatively to when he debuted on the scene. And of course, I'm talking about Darwin Cook. Um, that man who started out in animation, you know, doing this... Oh, fuck. What was the name of that cartoon he did? Batman the Animated Series? I think so, uh, no, Batman the New Adventures. The New Adventures of Batman. Because it was... It, it was, was the sequel. Yeah, yeah, when they moved to WB. Right, exactly. No, good point. And, uh, but he was a longtime animation artist who then, you know, always had this kind of hunger to tell serialized stories and, you know, he started doing, you know, like little bits and pieces. And, um, you know, uh, I remember, you know, him working with Ed Brubaker on this uh, little book called Catwoman. Yep. And uh, holy shit, was that book. I mean, you want to talk about a 180 from the 90s Catwoman, the Jim Ballon era with like the impossible female poses with yeah. the impossible female architecture. Just cheesecake galore. Holy crap. I don't know how that actually made it onto regular newsstands. And I mean, just, it, it, it was really terrible. I mean... It was? I didn't read any of that stuff. Jim Bellant is a is a definitely a talented artist. Obviously, he's found his niche with that book that he's doing, Tarot. Tarot. Blick- Blitch of the of the whack rose or yeah. something. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Well, I'm just going to leave that in, and um, but you know, not not to diss Jim Ballant because he's a talented artist be, for what he does. But you want to talk about a storyteller, and you want to talk about a storyteller working with a writing master like Ed Brubaker. That Catwoman run, if you can find the trades for that, go for it. I mean, I know that it's a little hard to find right now. Hopefully, they'll do some some you know, collector edition reissues for that. But the book that that cemented Darwin Cook, and, and there was a lot of books that Darwin Cook did, you know, like especially in his later years before he passed, like the Parker series. Oh, yeah. Was, holy shit, I mean, crime storytelling of the highest order. But the book that captured my imagination at the time was this this not so little project? It, in fact, it was a mega project put on by DC Comics, and that was the uh, Justice League. Well, it's actually the book is really just titled "The New Frontier," which was later adapted into an animated feature, direct-to-video animated feature that Darwin Cook supervised himself. And 
I love the golden and silver age iterations of the DC Comics characters. Is correct me if I'm yeah. mistaken, but I believe wasn't that like the second or third animated movie to shoot out of the whole DC animation? I would have to check. It on It was that. really early it, on. It was early on, but I think it was their first adapted work. It was the first one where they, they did Superman Doomsday, but it wasn't really Doomsday Doomsday. Yeah, this was know? this was the first. It was definitely the first animated. Uh, feature where I said, holy shit, that is drawn by Darwin Cook, it and it moved. The, and I mean, it captured the feel. It captured that that atomic era 70s, or not 70s, but late 50s, early 60s, space race, you know, commie hating vibe of, of that time with, and I mean, in the background of this book, he told a story of America warts and all. So yeah, you got you got Hal Jordan ace test pilot. You've got, you know, the Martian manhunter being accidentally brought to earth and trying to adapt to living in in human culture and there was a scene in there where he's just watching television shape-shifting into different characters uh, trying to understand human beings. Um, you know, we get to see the great Adam Strange. What happened to Wonder Woman and Superman and Batman after they fought in World War II? And his take on Wonder Woman... Holy is, shit. It's something that's influenced every creator since. Yep. And it's a, it's a wholly unique take on Wonder Woman that you... That I believe has not been seen since he has done that. I agree. Now, you know I love me some George Perez. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, but but let's be frank some, about something. That George Perez, between the George Perez days on Wonder Woman to the new frontier, Wonder Woman was looked at as an XY Superman. I mean, she was super strong. She could fly. She was nine vulnerable. But she didn't have that warrior persona. She had a superhero persona, I think. I mean, I feel like a lot of people did not, especially through the 90s, did not understand Wonder Woman. And that's not to say that there weren't good Wonder Woman stories. There were good Wonder Woman stories being told. Um, You know, look, I love John Byrne. I am an unabashed John Byrne fan. John Byrne's a kooky old guy. I I love John Byrne. He had a prolific run on Wonder Woman. Uh, at DC, that, which they're collecting in hardcover now. Holy shit! I'm gonna have to buy that too. Uh, tone deaf towards you know feminist and maybe some ethnic issues there, but I'll tell you what: um, John Byrne had a great run on Wonder Woman. That was, but she was strictly a superhero, and this was Wonder Woman that was brought back to her bare essentials. What were her bare essentials? She's a warrior princess. Crafted from magic of the gods, who was sent to man's world to bring peace to the planet. And let that sit with you for just a second. And boy, howdy. I mean, Darwin hits you right between the eyes when we find, when Superman, who is his viewpoint character at that time in the comic, finds what Wonder Woman's been up to since World War II. And she's leading popular uprisings in some of the worst areas of the third world. And you know, Batman has gone deep into his his urban myth sort of persona where, you know, he is the shrouded devil, you know, who'll strike from the darkness. And even Superman now wears a black shield, you know, f- uh, to never forget, you know, all the lives lost during World War II. So that, that because it was just, you know, in that time frame, just 10, 12 years had passed. 
And his his Superman is very much uh, Fleischer inspired. Oh yes, and and I feel like while yeah, after in the early two thousands they tried to do the Black Shield Superman. I remember it, the the Jeff Loeb era. Yeah, of, and know. and it didn't really work. And you realize after Darwin comes on is because it's the the Fleischer influence that yes. that needs to work, and how that that's. Such a classic and pure Boy Scout Superman to his core. Right, right. And then you get the quintessential Silver Age characters as well, like Hal Jordan, the Green Lantern in Korea. He flew with Ace from the Challengers of the Unknown. Oh, yeah, that was so great. You know, they were wingmen together. And and he's not even fucking Green Lantern at that point. He's not Green Lantern for most of the series, which is fantastic. He is Hal Jordan, and he he gets... um, after after failing as a test pilot because he just you know wants to be he's pushing these these machines to their absolute limit and he crashes more than he lands. <laughs> How he survives, I mean, only because of Hal Jordan. But they gave him that Chuck Yeager mystique of the of the test pilot who will go to the absolute edge to deliver the best possible weapon for the United States government. And he finds the person in charge, and then he pushes the envelope. That's right, and he gets himself out of a job. But (laughs) his girlfriend, Carol Ferris, rescues him, which puts him into this top-secret project led by none other than Rick Flagg of the Suicide Squad, or Squadron, I should say. Um, You get Adam Strange. You get this great great Flash adventure in, in, in Las Vegas, him fighting Captain Cold. I mean, during the days of the mob and 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 the Rat Pack and shit like that, you can you can smell the cigarette smoke. That absolutely, you, you know, you can smell the cool plastic that surrounded everybody at that time. I mean, it was just he loved these characters, and he was able to to craft a story to bring them all together from all of these. I mean, the Challengers of the Unknown, Flash, Green Lantern, Green Arrow, Adam Strange, the Martian Manhunter, the Spectre even makes an appearance. Oh, that's right. Right? And doesn't he create his own superhero who's African-American at some point? Or is that a deep cut? That's a deep cut. That's actually John Henry Irons. No shit. No shit. Okay, so there's this hooded... Okay, because they they really get into race relations and and how it was starting to come to a boiling point in um, in the in the Silver Age. So they don't he doesn't shy away from touchy subjects. So he used the modern character of John Henry Irons, who became Steel in the reign of the Superman, and um, concentrated. And it was about this guy who was uh, African-American gentleman who was unfortunately lynched, but somehow survived, and he's this big, massive dude, had the hangman's noose around him and a hood and a giant sledgehammer fighting fighting crime just in newspaper clippings. They referred to him as what, like the hooded hangman or something, something like that. Something like that. I, I, it's, been, it's been a little I bit. I want to say hooded justice. Hooded justice. Or is I, that Watchmen? That's Watchmen. Okay. Okay, but but essentially you just hear stories of him fighting crime in the deep south in places like Alabama, Mississippi, you know, where which were turning into flashpoints for the civil rights movement and eventually how he's brought down by the people that he the very people that he was fighting. So, you know, it really gets you in touch with what the fuck was going on with America, both the good and the bad during that time. I mean, the government 
let's look at, you know, Hal Jordan getting wrapped up in the secret project. You know, they were up to no good themselves, you know, and it was up to these heroes to serve as shining examples to, to bend the government's will just a little bit towards the light instead of the dark. And uh, I, I don't want to ruin the story for anybody who hasn't either seen the animated ser- uh, show or, boy, wouldn't an animated series for the New Frontier be neat? Uh, <laughs> I almost said series. But I would think, like, God, give me that. Um, um, I, that's, that goes into the the morning of Darwin Cook where I don't think they could pull that off without him. Absolutely. No, and, and I wouldn't want to see them do it because, honestly, the feature film... The, the VOD feature film that they did was fantastic. I mean, it was there was obvious cuts made because, I, I mean, I'm holding this massive tone, which I'm going to drop on the table. I mean, this thing is massive. I mean, it's like the Gutenberg Bible, right? They wouldn't let you have that in prison. No, no, because you can kill a fool with this. But the, the point is, is that they, were, they, they stayed to the core concepts because Darwin is, was ostensibly the godfather of the production. Now... If you have seen the movie but have not read the graphic novel, it's available in both soft cover and two volumes, if I remember correctly. Yeah. But there is this, uh, what do they call this edition? I'm picking I think- up the, they call this the deluxe edition for DC, The New Frontier. And you, we were talking a little bit before about extra features. That was going to be my next, literally my next question. I mean, look at this. Adam. Holy shit. Look at this. That's like, and see, that's a whole book's worth. John Henry right there. That's awesome. Uh, his designs for like uh, Cobalt and, and Dinah Drake and Lana Lang and... Oh my God! Layouts and layouts and, and reference material. A lot of reference material, um, and then as well as the they did a New Frontier annual, which had bonus stories that that Darwin and other creators were doing, and they included that annual in there as well. So I mean, and this is the first time it's all been collected together with that annual. Absolutely. I mean, the price point on this is forty nine ninety nine, so it's not inconsequential. But you're talking like it's five hundred pages, wouldn't you say? I'd say give or take. Yeah. I mean, this is you're getting the most bang for your buck. You're getting the Justice League, you're getting the Teen Titans, you're getting the Challengers of the Unknown, you're getting all the Silver Age superheroes of the time, you're getting some of the World War II characters like Rick Flagg and the Suicide Squad and Task 4X and King Faraday, and I'm running, I mean, it's just so perfect. And it's a great, like you said, it's a great entry point. If you've got a friend of yours that's raving about Mad Men and has watched that from front to back, I, I have a hard example. time I have a hard time believing that the people who made that show uh, didn't read New Frontier first and bring a little bit of the spirit of the time into Mad Men. It's honestly a great primer to that time period. And hey, you know, if you like The New Frontier, I could list down a whole series of movies from that period of time that you would absolutely dig. You know, like the original Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, Sammy Davis Jr., Ocean's Eleven. Completely different from the Clooney, Brad Pitt, Matt Damon, Ocean's Eleven, but equally as enjoyable if you understand the time period it exists in. And he captures it in a way that there's no other creator out there that could do that. Yep. He was in love with the time period, warts and all. So that, I, I, I just have to say, I miss you, Darwin Cook. You were a creator's creator. Your covers on the New 52, remember those 26 covers that he drew? Yeah. Um, you know, as I was complaining about the New 52 and hating, as much as I love Jim Lee, and I love Jim Lee's art, 
but I was I was tired of the the Jim Lee is nineties part two. Nineties part two. I I didn't like the wildstormization of the DC universe. That's such a perfect term. I'd never thought of it like that. And that is you captured those first like three, four years of New 52 to a T with that. And again, I'm not trying to diss it. If you like the New 52, that is awesome. There were some good stories being told in the New 52. You just had to dig around to find them. Right. And I'm just saying it wasn't for me. But when I saw Darwin Cook, his cover for Superman Wonder Woman, and there's Superman laying on a on a blanket on another planet, and Wonder Woman is feeding him grapes with her his head in her lap. I'm like, there's just joy. There's just joy in that Teen Titans cover of the Teen Titans as a rock band. I was about to say that was Teen Titans as a band. That was right? such a great. You had Speedy on bass. You had Donna Troy on lead guitar. You had Robin on lead vocals. You had Aqualad on Hammond B3 organ, and you had none other than Wally Kid Flash West. Playing drum kit. I mean, I want that album. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? there's and there. You mentioned that he did 26 covers. Yeah, there's only I want to say three to four artists that got their entire line of covers. Yes, and he was the first. Yes, he and was. there's a fucking reason for that. There was because he's a fucking genius. He was a he is a fucking mm-hmm. genius because I I believe in something after today. Okay, I believe that there's something above us, through us, the force, heaven, I don't know what, but Darwin is inspiring artists to this day. You you see those artists out there and I and I and I can't wait to see this same guy who finds an era of comics and loves it as much as Darwin did and, and brings that. Um I think you mentioned that you were a Darwin Cook fan. Oh, of, absolutely. Of a high order. I mean, what comes to your mind? I mean, I'm, I'm just a nostalgic guy, so that's why DC: The New Frontier hit me in the right way. Um, what's something from Darwin that 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 lights your candle? Gosh, uh, there was his solo was really good. That was fantastic. Um, that was really my first full face exposure to Darwin. I think his. Um, in fact, when he passed away. I went and racked up a ton of money on a credit card, uh, and I bought, I want to say, six or seven collected editions, oh. one of those being, like, the oversized Parker Martini edition. Nice. Uh, I They did, uh, for him, they did, I forget what it's called, but it's, like, graphic something, <sighs> shit. It's basically an art book of Darwin Cook, and it features a ton of short stories in there. We'll have to put that in the notes for this episode, because I, I seem to remember that and as well. I picked that up, and I looked through that, and I just love the shit out of that. It collects a lot of his covers. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, the thing that captured my heart out of all of Darwin's cu- uh, Darwin's stuff, and this was the first thing I picked up from him and collected on a monthly basis, is The Spirit. Oh, Yeah. Um, oh, I, that was good. I have every single issue signed by him. No shit. Yes, every the first twelve that he did, they're all signed by him. That's fantastic. And and another one that I felt was really underrated. Um, Darwin Cook was a great writer. He was an amazing artist. Yes, he was. But he was a great writer. Yep. He did a series with Tim Sale called Kryptonite. Yes, and it was. Yes. Uh, and that was a great series as well. If you get a chance to read that. Um, he brings more of that humanization of Superman. Uh, and, and it's all set during Superman's early years with one of his first 
uh, encounters with kryptonite. Right. You know, a lot of people talk about Max Landis's take on Superman American Alien, and that's great for a Max Landis story. A lot of people talk about um, Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale's Superman for All Seasons. Brilliant work. It's fantastic. But kryptonite? Kryptonite was Darwin. And it was it was just it, I I don't know how even else to say it that it was so Darwin Cook that that you it rubbed off on your hands and it just oh my god it was so good. There was um, my ex wife was a huge Darwin Cook fan, mm-hmm. um, and there was just one time we walked by his booth at WonderCon when we were in San Francisco. Yeah, and she brought up one of the kryptonite issues to sign. She says, "Hey, can I get a picture with you?" Not only did he say yes, he lays out on the table. <laughs> and I kid you, he is the only person that can get away with this and just look like a fucking badass. But he lays across his table. Oh, my God. And is just like has his hand propping his head. Like he's a pinup girl or something. Pretty much. That's and, fantastic. And, and that's how she took the picture with him. That's fantastic. And, I mean, that's the kind of guy he, he is and, and you know, was. Wherever he is now, yeah, he is, I, I swear to God, he's just making that next plane a better place for being there. Absolutely. I, I, God damn, I just, I miss that guy. Yeah. So, so mentioning so, the spirit yes. as, uh, with Darwin Cook stuff kind of is a loose lead into mine. Okay. Uh, we all know the, the spirit was created by Will Eisner. Yeah. Uh, the, the man who invented sequential storytelling, pretty much. Yeah, essentially. And he created, uh, a lot of people give him credit to creating the original graphic novel. Yes. Uh, the very first. Was that a contract with God? It was, and that's yes. exactly what I'm, I'm going to mention. There is, there, is some, there is some debate whether that came out first or was it Saber by Dwayne McDuffie. And, you know, but contract with God, I think most people give credit as being the first OGN. And, and that makes which sense. Which stands for original graphic novel, by yeah, the way. And it, well, it was one of the first that was offered exclusively. It started out exclusively at, at like bookstores yes. and book chains. Yes. And it didn't, it took a bit to make its way into the comic shops. Yeah. And um, well, because there wasn't a real distribution system, comic shops, uh, there was a split between what goes to newsstands which are like magazines, newspapers, comic books. And then books were completely separate distribution system, which went to bookstores and book chains, like you mentioned, and whatnot. And the twain never really met. So it wasn't until sometime in the mid-'80s when you know there was, there was uh, regional distribution systems. This is years before Diamond, everybody, where, where comic shops started to get access to actual hardcover and softcover books. Wow, that yeah. one I, I knew a little bit about it, yeah. but I didn't realize that it wasn't until the mid '80s that they didn't get the graphic novels and stuff. Right, and I mean, Diamond was able to pretty much cement their monopoly, and let's call it what it is. That's exactly what it is. They were able to to settle that by the late '90s. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. A little bit of history for yes. you there, kids. Well, so I mean, we're talking about collected editions, yes. and this goes that's just part of the history of it. Um, a Contract with God has multiple stories in it. Mm-hmm. The lead story, though, is one of my favorite Will Eisner stories uh, about a guy who is trying to get from, I believe it's Poland, into the U.S. Huh. Um, and so they send him... Yeah, correct me if I'm wrong, Jim. It's, it's one of the European countries during World War II. I believe so. And he... The all the uh, people in the area, the elder people, were just like, "Hey, we believe in you. 
we think out of all the people, you're the one that deserves to go over there. You're the one that can make it. Yes. And so he does, while he's on his way over there, he writes his own personal contract with God. Okay. And, and so the whole thing is, you know, as long as God keeps his contract, I will essentially be a good person. I will help other people. And then someone in his family dies. Mm. And at that point, he says, God, you didn't keep your contract. This was not in the contract. <laughs> and then becomes this shrewd, uh, selfish businessman. Yeah. Um, and you get to see the... And it's set in, like, er, you know, early, early, early 40s. Like, he becomes the shrewd businessman right post-World War II. Okay. So it's set during that time you follow him through his life, and you get to see the change that he makes and how that he rips up that contract. Oh wow! And how it, how for him he it was very much a story of faith, uh-huh. as much as it is anything else. And it was especially for that time period, it struggles with what do we expect of a higher power mm-hmm. and what do we deserve out of a higher power and how our relationship with that higher power is, uh, it, it plays out. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. This is like the late 1970s. When, when this came out? When this came out or was it the early 80s? I want to say it was the early 80s. Okay, you know, early 80s. Here's Will Eisner advancing in his years. And this is a guy who wrote adventure strips. I mean, he created the spirit, you know, one of the greatest... You know, comic characters of all, crime fighting comic characters, uh, rather tone deaf portrayals of, of certain ethnic groups. Let's be fair. Yeah, when you said that, the first thing that came up to m- in my head was if you find the Will Eisner Spirit Archives, prepare to be offended. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just, you know, and I'm not making any excuses, okay? I'm the wrong guy to make excuses, <laughs> okay, based on, on current drops. But, um, you know, this is a guy who didn't get it right. And had no problem telling you later in his life that he didn't get it right, you know, and that that I thought made him kind of a mensch in that respect, if I can use the term. Yeah. Um, but but here's a guy who's in, in his advancing years, and comic books still in the early 1980s. What's coming out? We've got Burn Claremont X Men. We've got Wolfman Perez Teen Titans. We've got Jerry Conway on fucking Justice League of America. We've oh, got gosh, yeah. we've got fucking. I mean, I think. Michelini on Spider-Man. Michelini on Spider-Man. Fuck, I'm I'm trying to Uh, remember. Michelini and Leighton on Iron Man. That's right, you know, know, and and that's just when, you know, we're talking, there's only been a few comics up until that point, you know, like uh, Green Lantern, Green Arrow, O'Neill and... and, uh, Oh, yes. uh, Neil Adams. Adams. You know, my ward is a junkie, you know, Mm -hmm. and and Spider-Man figuring out Harry Osborn was doing drugs and... You know, uh, they started doing things with with teen kidnapping, teen runaways, and teen titans. And, you know, comics were were taking on topical issues, but it wasn't commonplace. And here's Will Eisner, a guy who helped invent the form, like we're talking 50 years prior, doing stuff about man's relationship with the almighty. I mean, just think about that. This is before Image Comics. This is before Dark Horse Comics. This is before Oni Press, Caliber Press, before Kitchen Sink, before everything, you know, through just a standard book publisher, talking about man's relationship with God. And I yep. mean, that just blows... I mean, when you, yeah. when, you, when you think about it in its time, 
it's a mind-blowing exercise, I think. And it's one of those stories that will always be universal. Yes. It's set in a certain time period, but it, it, it tackles a very specific issue that we all struggle with, right. have struggled with, and will struggle with. Right, right. Oh, my God, what a great pick. Yeah, I uh, and then as you go forward, there's stories um, that tackle sexuality. Some of the yeah. first nudity in comics I saw was in that graphic novel. Well, and yeah. um, <laughs> well, <laughs> and and the thing is, it tackles it from that time period, and you get while it is tone deaf in aspects, I feel like it's tone deaf on purpose. Maybe. Well, the characters are. It's been up. so many years since I've read it, so yeah. I, 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 I'm. You've got me interested again. Yeah, here. the characters are are rather tone deaf, and it's set in that 30s, 40s, and and teenagers and kind of cheesecakey. Yeah, and you young know. adults not really like it. Accepted that it, it put out there that women were sexual beings and they like sex just as much as guys, and but they, uh, but at the same time, it, it tackled the. Uh, the complicated nature that that you know uh, having that sexual awakening can be. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, wow. I, I love that book. And the other thing he did, this is my my last thing on it, is sure. he had no panels. There was no panels. It was image that flowed from image to image, and it proved to me that Will Eisner is the master of this craft. Yeah. Yeah, he wrote the book, literally. It's mm-hmm. called The Guide to Sequential Storytelling. And whether you are an artist or whether you are a writer, that is comic book 101. You need to read that book to understand the art. Or even if you're just a fan of comics and you want a deeper understanding, The Guide to Sequential Storytelling by Will Eisner, it is kept almost in print. I think it's it's constantly in print. It is. And is in art sections of that one major bookstore chain that shall not be named, as well as on a certain um, leading industry website where you can pretty much order anything from a kayak to yeah. an atomic bomb. Uh, <laughs> you know, you could get it anywhere, basically. The, the one thing... But that, better yet, go to your favorite local comic yes. store to go get it. The, the one thing that disappoints me about this book is it's not available digitally. Yeah. Yeah. And hopefully one day Eisner's stuff can reach it to can reach to Comicsology or the Kindle or, well, or you know whatever. Yeah, I mean myself, as you see, I'm I'm collecting trades now. I think I've mentioned that before. So that to me, I think you might have sparked a little bit of interest in me. I think I might put that on my bookshelf. Yeah, and like, and they they did a big giant hardcover that has it's like thirty or forty bucks, and it has not only a contract with God, but his next two graphic novels. Oh, neat. And then they also did just the individual trades, which I think are like 12 or 13 bucks okay. per. All right. I'm going to have to take a look at that, man. Yeah. That's fantastic. So this is Jim now. Uh, Adam is not in the studio with me at the moment. We decided to try something new with this podcast and actually break up what turned out to be a very long conversation into a two-part episode. Um, we want to know what you guys think. Would you prefer shorter shows uh, that are easily digestible in a short period of time, you know, it's better on your constitution, uh, prevents IBS, or do you prefer the longer uninterrupted conversations that can sometimes go on for hours at a time? Let us know on social media. You can hit us up on Twitter, at Graphic Podcast, uh, or if you prefer a longer form uh, way of communicating with us, we all have our email address, which is the real.graphiccontent at gmail.com. 
Uh, Adam and I are also uh, available to you on the socials. Uh, I am available at Jimmers with three M's on Twitter, at Jimmers with five M's on Instagram. Don't ask. It's a long story. I tried to explain in previous episodes. It just doesn't work out too well. But Adam's smart because he's available on just about all the social medias and Snapchat at Adam S. Messinger. So we're going to post the second half of this episode right after this one so that there will be little to no gap in the conversation that we had on this. We hope you join us for it. So for Adam, I will say go read a comic, and after you're done with that, listen to graphic content.